There are two dilemmas that rattle the human skull. How do you hold on to someone who won't stay? And how do you get rid of someone who won't go? From Pod 617 Productions, it's Shine On, a presentation of Berkman, Botker, Newman, and Shine. Now here's your host, attorney Evan Shine. Episode 16 of the Shine On podcast, I'm Evan Shine. As always, producer David Yaz is with us. We have a great show today and a fantastic guest. What does the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, and Super Bowl winner, NFL star Tom Brady, and millions of people have in common. You will find out in today's episode. Now, we've had amazing guests on the show to talk about life after divorce and the challenges that often come up, yet at the same time, the absolutely wonderful opportunities that starting over after divorce can present. For so many people, a whole new world in life is just beginning. How do you navigate it? What are the rules? What do you need to know about post-divorce life before it begins? And part of this post-divorce life is navigating new relationships and the blending of families from both the parents' and children's perspective. On today's episode, I am joined by award-winning author and founder of Bonus Families, Dr. Jan Blackstone. We are going to talk with Dr. Blackstone about bonus and blended families and navigating the challenges and dynamics in these co-parenting relationships and family settings. Dr. Blackstone is going to give us the secret recipe on how to have a healthy co-parenting relationship in blended families, even one that may be high conflict. Coming up on the other side of the docket is my interview with our featured guest this week on episode number 16 of the Shine Up podcast, Dr. Jan Blackstone, author of the new book, Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting Your Children First, this is an interview that you will not want to miss. All right, counselor, it is time once again for the docket. Should I fire it up? Dave, let's do it. All right. And now let's see what's on the docket. First on the docket comes a story from The Guardian. It is a column written by a writer named Zoe Williams. The headline reads, The biggest challenge of divorce, the kids' school clothes, are always at the wrong house. And she writes, the worst thing about being divorced when you have kids is that something is always at the wrong house. You only ever realize it five seconds before you need it, and it never ends. Maybe it's the only pen with the right nib for the homework. And no, obviously the other pen is in the wrong place, etc., etc. So it's kind of, it's a little bit of a lighthearted column, but probably sounds pretty familiar to you in working with your clients, Evan. So what do you think? Dave, you're 100% right. It's all too familiar. Look, as a divorce attorney, this issue comes up all the time. When I'm litigating in court and also when I'm negotiating an agreement outside of court for a client. But I'm not sure if this is the biggest challenge and the biggest issue, although I have no doubt that for parents, it may feel like it for so many people. I can think of about 50 other things that are more difficult. But look, this is real. And when this becomes an issue post-divorce, I always say to myself, why wasn't this addressed in the divorce agreement? And I want to take a moment to talk about drafting an agreement because Mm. when you're drafting an agreement as a divorce attorney, specificity and detail, it's everything. You put in pickup times, holidays, vacation days, decision-making, the process on how you're going to make decisions, 
and the exchange of clothes, all of this gets put into an agreement. And for someone listening that says, Evan, is all of that really necessary to put in the agreement? My response would be, if you don't put it in the agreement, you're going to end up fighting over exactly what the article talks about. And look, agreements, they're a default. Would you rather have language and provisions in your agreement that you don't have to ever look at again because you know what? Things just work itself out. Or would you rather call me years later because your agreement doesn't have the detail, doesn't have the specificity, and then you have to spend time arguing over whether the clothes and the toys follow the kids or each parent has their own set. And ideally, look, I tell clients, you put your agreement in a drawer, you hopefully don't have to look at it again. And hopefully your co-parenting relationship doesn't require you to take it out of the drawer each and every day. But if something comes up, it's always better to have an agreement that has specificity and accounts for different scenarios, just like this article mentions. Yeah, I think most people would like to think, well, common sense will prevail. But unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. And I imagine fighting over certain issues will lend itself to fighting over every issue, including, you know, who's supposed to wash the pajamas or things like that. And I imagine, sadly, sometimes it can come down to fights over disputes over things like that. Absolutely, right? Dave. I, yeah. I see it all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, Billy Crystal said when Harry met Sally, someday you'll go 12 rounds over this stupid garage sale, sale wagon wheel coffee table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. You, yeah. and, and what is, you mentioned common sense. You have to throw common sense out the door, out the window when it comes to drafting an agreement. I look at things from, from a worst case scenario, and, and the more detail you can put in, the better it is. Very good. Next on the docket, how did the pandemic really affect love and relationships? After an exhaustive search of online studies and survey data, an outfit called Love Connection has a new report that provides unique insights. Love Connection happens to come out of Melbourne and is apparently one run by a woman named Tina Fey, which is really distracting because it's not the same Tina Fey who works up the street from you at, uh, or used to work up the street from you at 30 Rock. Anyway, well, here's, here's what they found. Love Connection compiled statistics from multiple sources, recognizing the impact the pandemic has had on relationships isn't straightforward, but compiling the statistics, here's the overview. I'll give you a few of the bullet points. 50% of people re- reported a decline in their sex life. 27% of participants felt a de- decrease in relationship satisfaction. Uh, let's see, divorce applications rose from 40 to 45% in the United States. The online dating industry grew roughly 13% during 2020. So those are a few, Evan, but you and I have talked about the effect on divorce during the pandemic, and the reports seem to be all around the board, but any, anything new here? Dave, when I hear those statistics and those numbers, it's a pretty, pretty grim picture, yeah, and we're is. not even at it. I mean, we've talked about it before on the podcast, and look, I'm fascinated by this. And we'll continue to follow stories and talk about it here on the Shine On podcast, and we'll break it down. But look, I've been saying we have not even seen the impact of COVID on relationships and marriages. Maybe we've scratched the surface. I'm not even sure we've gotten to that point. And this is definitely something to follow, both in the short term and the long term, the divorce rates, you know, the numbers, the statistics that you mentioned, you know, from the article you know, if we're having this conversation, and I suspect that we will, you know, as the months go on, when we get on the other side of the pandemic and life resumes and people are back in offices, people are back spending time with friends at restaurants, at bars, 
going to ball games. I bet we'll see a jump, not only in these statistics that you just went through, but in the divorce rate as well. Mm. So you, you think a great number of people are simply delaying the inevitable, just kind of riding out the pandemic. I do. Yeah. I, I think the, the, you know, there's been so much talk about spike in divorce. Is it real? Is it fact? Is it fiction? Yeah. And I think the, the real impact on divorce rates, you're not going to see it today. You're not going to see it tomorrow. You'll see the fallout end of 2021, but really in 2022 and beyond when couples make the decision, you know, and these are couples who stay together during the quarantine, during the lockdown for whether it's medical reasons, safety reasons, transitioning back and forth. Did it make sense? Or financially, it didn't make sense to go forward with the divorce either. I mean, people lost jobs. Compensation was cut. For so many people, this past year was just not the right time to go forward with a divorce. And now as we look at what's ahead and we get on the other side of it, all those factors that may have been at play in the past year are not necessarily going to be driving factors in 21 and beyond. One of the other findings of this study was that 45% of people have stopped dating altogether during the pandemic. I'm pretty surprised that 55% of people kept dating because <laughs> how did you, how do you do it? I mean, I guess you got to be in a committed relationship if that's dating, but. Well, and, it, and Dave, we, we, we've had, you know, special guest, Amy Van Dorn, yeah. you know, matchmaker, you know, mm-hmm. in New York city of, of the modern love club on the shine on podcast before. And she talked about the different and creative ways that people have, you know, dated and whether it's on zoom or people have expanded, you know, their geographical scope and geographical mm-hmm. reach because people are working from home and people are not as committed to one particular area. But look, I think as we get on the other side of it, the statistics on dating will change like so many of the other statistics you mentioned. That's right. Well, we will continue to follow it here on the Shannon podcast, of course. Our featured guest this week on the Shine Up podcast is Dr. Jan Blackstone. Dr. Blackstone specializes in co-parenting counseling, conflict resolution, anger management, child custody, divorce, and bonus family, step-family mediation. She is the founder of Bonus Families, a nonprofit organization. She is the author of the award-winning book, My Parents Are Divorced Too. She has a new book out, Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting Your Children First, And we're excited to talk with Dr. Blackstone about it on today's episode. She's the author of several other must-read books, including Ex-Etiquette for Parents, Good Behavior After Divorce and Separation, Ex-Etiquette for Weddings, and Ex-Etiquette for Holidays. Dr. Blackstone is a frequent guest and consultant on television and radio talk shows, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, The Early Show, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Dr. Blackstone, thank you for joining us. I appreciate the time. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Dr. Blackson, I want to start by asking you about the dynamics involved in bonus and blended families. People enter into new relationships post-divorce and they find love again. People get remarried, past relationships become intertwined with new ones. And it's not just the blending of new partners or new spouses, but entire families and children. So with that as a backdrop, what is a bonus family? And tell us where the phrase came from. <laughs> well, the, the concept behind bonus families is more collaborative. 
that's the whole concept behind it is is a collaborative existence between the two homes because the common the common situation is people break up they get they don't like the ex they don't want the new partner around and then we force these kids to go back and forth between two homes where everybody's at odds and it, that's it creates mental health conditions in your in our children. I always tell people we're going to have an entire generation of borderline personality disorder because nobody can get, get adjusted. But it, it's simply a collaborative effort. And so what it does is is it gets the the bonus parent, otherwise known as a step parent, involved in the decision making because. They probably have children too. So it can't be a cut and dry. The parents run the show. Uh, you have to have a collaborative effort because you've got kids at both you know, both homes. So, Dr. Blackstone, you talk about the adjustment and we're going to get to that because I think it's incredibly important to look at it from not only the parent's perspective, but the child's perspective as well. But tell us about your work, the organization Bonus Families. Well, bonus families originally started out as a blog. It, it, it was a it was a blog because uh, Cheryl, my my bonus kids mom, and and myself, we were co-parenting the children because they were going back and forth, and we were the primary caregivers. And they had a very active dad, but the moms were they were little kids. The moms were the ones that were working together, and we bumped heads. Consider it was terrible until we realized that the kids really. Uh, uh, they were the ones that were being affected. And so we, we kind of put everything aside and started working together. And people would see us because we lived in a very small town and people would see us out and about. And we'd both be going to baseball games for the kids or, or basketball games. And they'd say, how do you guys do it? And, and so at one of those games, we were just trying to figure out another name instead of step because my bonus kids would go home to their mom and say, I, I, we don't know what to call Jenny because people automatically think we hate her when we call her a stepmom. So we were just knocking around different things. And that's how it came up bonus because um, a bonus. And, and this is what happened is I went home and went, oh, bonus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's an addition. It's not instead of, because when you have an, a bonus, you're getting it because you reached a certain quota, perhaps. So it's never an instead of, it's an addition. And also it's a reward for a job well done. So like in sales, if you reach quota, you get a bonus. So it was a, it was a level to reach for. And so it was a very big compliment when somebody would call their, their parent or their child a bonus parent, because it means that you've accepted them and that you're working hard. You mentioned your own personal experience and about, you know, butting heads. And, and I want to ask you, what are the challenges, whether it's your own personal experience or what you see in your work? all the time about the issues and the challenges that come up for so many people as they navigate blended families, bonus families, and really the, the dynamics in the relationships. Ego. <laughs> That's all, you know, uh, they get into people approach breakups like they did when they were in high school and they don't realize at that point that they have children going back and forth. So what you do is you, you uh, create the best family kind of scenario we're better than that house. And that's what people run into is, is they argue about that or they set up scenarios. And the thing that they aren't taking into consideration, I, quite frankly, joint custody is for the parents. It's not for the kids. Because what kid wants to go back and forth trying to figure out and navigate that stuff? So but the whole premise is collaboration, putting your kids first and not your own situation. Uh, 
because everybody's mad. <laughs> when you're breaking up, nobody's happy. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm going to break up with you. You know, so yeah, it's you got to get over yourself and think that the children are the ones that are going back and forth. And Dr. Blackson, you mentioned putting your children first. And I want to talk about your new book, Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting Your Children First, which came out in 2020. And there's a lot of talk about- Right in the middle of the pandemic. (laughs) And so I want to ask you about that because you mentioned the adjustment for children and mental health. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, what parents do wrong. And I see it in my practice as a divorce attorney during the divorce process and also in life after divorce. So let's shift gears and tell us what can people do right? How do people put their kids above the conflict as parents navigate the complexities and challenges of divorce, of post-divorce life? You know, nobody has ever asked me what parents do right. You are the first one. Most parents say, oh, well, most people ask me how what people do wrong. The parents that do it right, put the children first and make their decisions based on the children and not their own needs because that's number one and the other parent, the other thing that they do right is if they come up with a, a forum for conflict resolution before they start to co-parent because people that don't get along don't want to people that do get along want to and if you have a, a, a plan in place for how you will problem solve, then it makes it much easier on everybody, including the kids going back and forth. Because a, a, a lot of times when I was in mediation with parents, I would ask them, well, how do you guys problem solve? What do you do when you butt your heads, butt heads? And the ones that made it work had a plan. The ones that didn't make it work just did it. They fought the same way they did when they before they broke up, you know, they, they'd withhold, they'd uh, not talk to each other, they'd swear, they'd yell, they'd hit each other if that, if that was a domestic violence situation. So it's the people that figured out this is a different life. We have to approach it from a different place. We have to put our kids first. How are we going to problem solve? What are we going to do when we don't agree? That's, those are the ones that work. Dr. Blackson, you have a great blog on your website, the Bonus Family website, and the title is The 10 Rules of Good Etiquette for Parents. And the first rule that's listed is to put children first. And there's other rules, which I absolutely love. I advise my clients of this, you know, in the divorce process. And to me, this is a script that all parents should follow. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And so I want to ask you- Brilliant. Brilliant. It is. And what seems to be, but but it's true because what seems to be so logical and what makes sense, why do parents struggle with it after a divorce? Is it the high conflict nature of the relationship? Is it the unresolved issues that are still lingering from their marriage? What is it that makes a script and the rules that to us and so many people are logical, so hard for people to follow? People don't know how to break up. They just, they don't know how to, how to stop being a couple and and so consequently they they continue in their mind to be a couple even though they've broken up and so they take all that anger and all that frustration and they put it into their breakup relationship and that there, there are no rules and so that's the reason I came up with the 10 rules of good ex etiquette is people would write me and say do you have something I can put on the refrigerator to remind me not to lose my temper when I'm talking to their father or their mother sure. and so I, I sat down at first, the first, the first, when I made the initial list, it was 21 rules. It, it was everything. And then uh, it went down to, I 
kind of made it smaller and, and got down to 15, and then it got down to 10. And I realized that the 10 rules were basically the 10 commands. If you look at them. It uh, doesn't matter if you're Jewish or you're Christian or you're whatever. The Ten Commandments, nobody's really going to argue with you that they're wrong. <laughs> well, that's true. I feel, I feel like it's they're really, moral rules. And, and, I, and I'm going to give that out to, to, to my clients because, again, when I saw it, I, I said, wow, it's obvious, yet it's so incredibly important, yet so many people struggle with it in their own relationships when they're parenting, whether it's in blended families, bonus family relationships, or, or just navigating post-divorce life. If you think about it, it's it's rules for to to get along with a partner. It doesn't matter if you're broken up or together. I mean, it, don't hold grudges, don't be spiteful, don't badmouth them. I mean, those are all logical things. And if sure. you if you compare them to the Ten Commandments, it's you know don't don't take the the Lord's name in vain. Don't badmouth your partner. So it, it's I didn't even realize it when I was putting it together. And it, that that's basically what it was. It all the last the last ex etiquette rule is compromise. Look for the compromise. How are you going to problem solve? You know, you can't just dig in your heels with your kids going back and forth. Use empathy when problem solving. That's which means put yourself in their shoes, and especially when you're co-parenting, because you, if you're asking your co-parent to do something that you wouldn't do, then you're not using empathy. You know, so those are the types of things that I suggest people look at. Dr. Bionstone, I want to ask you about things as a divorce attorney. I encounter in my practice, and I'm sure you do in your practice as well. Hmm. Should bonus parents be allowed or permitted to access parenting apps? And how involved should bonus parents and step parents be in the decision-making process going forward? Really, really good question. It depends on if they, number one, have children of their own. Because if they do, then they've already got rules established. So are you going to force these children, their children to look at how come you're letting them do this? And we're not, you know, you have to organize your life. So it depends on that. It depends on, in my case, I was the primary caregiver. They had, as you know, there's a stipulation in most divorce decrees that the other parent is asked first to supply daycare. If you can't supply daycare, then I'm going to go out and get, get daycare. Well, in our case, my uh, children's father said, "Yeah, jail food." <laughs> I had a home. I had a home office at the time. Uh, I still have a home office. So uh, I picked them up after school, and I had them on our week and Cheryl's week from three o'clock until she picked them up. So I was the primary caregiver. So how could I not be empowered? I, you know, if you say wait till your father gets home or wait till I'm going to tell your mother, then you've given up all your parental power. So you really again have to be. Sit down with the with the parents. Uh, organize your rules so that you can, you know, s- support their rules. Incorporate them in with yours. Vice versa. I mean, it's it's a collaborative effort. And, and I would, and, and I would guess that you know, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I would think you know the collaborative effort that you speak of, it's so much better to get ahead of it. And whether it's mediating any of these issues or working with a professional such as yourself or, or, or really having a frank, honest ca- conversation and being transparent at the beginning before these issues arise. I would think that families and parents would navigate the process so much easier with so much less disruption if people got ahead of the issues. Well, that's why I said establish a uh, forum for conflict resolution. Have a plan in place on how you're going to problem solve. Because if you don't, you're just going to fight. 
And, and that's not going to, and I also, even in a, in a bonus family, what I would also suggest to parents is they'll say, don't fight in front of the children. This is, I'm going a little bit different now, but, um, everybody fights in front of their children, <laughs> you know, and, and it, the key is to teach your children to disagree fairly. And if indeed you find yourself, because what parents do is they'll, oh, we're fighting in front of the kids and they go in their bedroom and they go in the bathroom and they close the door and then they come out and everything's on glory and the kids go, <laughs> what happened there? Mom and dad are whack dogs. So um, <laughs> what I used to tell people is, and what we did is we would stage an apology in front of the kids. You know, I'd come back out, make dinner. And as I'm making dinner, I would say, you know what, honey, I probably shouldn't have said it that way. I probably should have said it this way. And I apologize. And then he, and he would say, you know, thank you very much for your apology. I appreciate it. It was all staged. Sure. But the kids saw when you get in an argument, how you, how you apologize. Don't be afraid to say I'm sorry. People don't take that kind of stuff into consideration. And that's such a great point, Dr. Blackstone. And it's a great segue because I want to ask you from the child's perspective in bonus families, blended families, what the parents absolutely need to know about transitions for the mm -hmm. children, what the parents need to consider in this new family dynamic, and what do they need to know? Their kids absolutely do not want to choose. They don't want to choose, so don't make them. And don't make them choose by your behavior. People often told me, I never make my kids choose. Really? Did you get them a puppy and then call them up and say, you know, your puppy misses you. That kind of stuff happened all the time. And the other parent would be sitting in my office saying, I can't have puppies at my house, you know. So, the, the, you know, you have to take a look at this, what you're doing to contribute to the problem. Sure. And Dr. Blackson, I want to shift gears and I want to talk about the vice president, Kamala Harris. There was an article in the New York Times from January 17th this year written by Jessica Bennett. And the title of the article was Big Blended Family, Stepkids, Nieces, a Doting Husband, His Ex-Wife, What the Harris M.O.F.s Can Show the Country. What a headline. It was an incredible article on family and relationships from all different perspectives. And there's a quote in the article from Professor Ralph Richard Banks, who's a law professor at Stanford. And he says, it's striking. In some ways, they are at the frontier of different aspects of American families and how they're changing. And so I want to ask you, when you see a headline and an article like this and the spotlight that it puts on so many things in family dynamics and relationships and the evolution of family, what are your takeaways? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, because society is not the same now as it was. And you have to have new rules for new situations. You can't, and, and when people get confused is when they, when they come from, a, from an old, I call old school divorce situation sure. and try to implement that in, the, in a new lifestyle. You know from your practice that the majority of people who are meeting you in custody, mm -hmm. I've never been married. I, I, that's what I have it. I mean, maybe because you're a Correct. divorce attorney, but when I was in working for Superior Court, I just retired, but when I, I looked at the numbers, I, I took all of my clients this was in 2020, 2019, 68% were not married. 32% were. Now, now that's in the state of California, and I'm sure that it's different. But we're talking about a completely different family dynamic now. And years ago, kids did not go back and forth. So you can't, 
you can't have people arguing it and you can't have animosity to exes and you can't automatically hate a new wife or a new husband because they're the new one. And it, those types of things are passe. You just have to get over yourself and look at them as an ally instead of an enemy. Dr. Blasen, you mentioned those statistics and I think you're seeing the evolution of family, yeah. the de- definition play out in terms of the numbers and the statistics. And the vice president had a line in her acceptance speech that family is not only blood, but it's the family that you choose. And I think as we look at 2021, I think that rings true today. Without a doubt. She uses the term bonus. So yay. (laughs) Absolutely. And and when you hear her say that, it has to make someone like yourself smile, given all the work that you do with bonus families. It, well, it was a, it's been an evolution because when I first started to use the term was 1994, 1992, maybe um, even, I don't even know, I have to go back and look at my records, but people would say that it was kind of uh, syrupy, you know, and I, I just kind of plugged, plugged along because it was important that people want a more positive label. We, you know, people gravitate to good. You know, if you're going to hold on to the bad, go ahead. But people gravitate to the good. And I had such a loving experience. I was so lucky that the parents that I was dealing with were smart, intelligent, loving parents. And they would do anything for their children. And when we realized that we were digging in our our heels, we changed the direction. I actually went to mediation with them, sat in between the two of them. That's how I got it. And I want to ask you about that experience, the mediation process what that looked like because when things are great and everybody's coexisting peacefully it's a it's wonderful but when things get rocky and when it takes a bit of time to work through issues what was that mediation process like and what is it like for people in blended families bonus families what what, what is that setting like well the media when we went to mediation now this was they were (laughs) they were doing week on and week off and it was too long of a time for Cheryl to be away from her children. It wasn't too long for the children to be away from their mom. <laughs> because, I mean, he was very little. That was the concern is, is that Stevie was really little. But we had so, we lived on the water. We were in the boats all the time. And, and that was another thing. She felt completely out of the loop. So she wanted, and she approached Larry, the father, right. about having an extra day so that she could just have dinner with them in a week where they couldn't where she couldn't see them and he was digging in his heels he said absolutely not it's my time it's my time you can't have it and so they went to mediation and we had to really take a look at what you what he was doing and and why because it's not his time it was the children's time caution parents to say you're interrupting my time no it's the children's time with their parents not the parents time with their children again everything comes from the children's point of view and they negotiated a dinner in between. So, and that was the process. So they, they switched on uh, Fridays and on Monday night, they would go to the other person's house for dinner or go out for pizza or at least a touchstone so that the other parent and the children could see each other. So that's a great point. And again, it goes back to your book, which is really putting children first and changing the mindset or really shifting the mindset and getting parents to focus on the kids. So we talked about the vice president, Kamala Harris, and I want to bring up another example because it was in the news recently, Tom Brady, who is known for being an incredible star athlete, football player on the field. He recently made headlines 
with his ex Bridget Moynihan, his current wife, Giselle Bunchin, he had wished Bridget Moynihan a happy birthday. And there's been much conversation in the news about their blended family and their dynamics and the history of their relationship. And Tom Brady and Bridget Moynihan, they share a child together. And everyone has been open and transparent about their relationship in the news. And it's wonderful what we're seeing in Tom Brady and Giselle and Bridget Moynihan. And what I want to ask you about, it seems that the relationship between Giselle and Bridget Moynihan, they have developed such an appreciation for one another and such a mutual, yep, and such a mutual respect. So I want to ask you about that because it wasn't easy from the beginning and it took time for them, as I would imagine it takes time for so many people to get to that place. Well, it took uh, Cheryl and I about five years and, and it would have been less if somebody would have said, what are you doing? Because we didn't know that we, we should get along. We thought that when you break up, you break up. I'm the wife, you're the ex-wife, you know, so, so what, you just happen to be an afterthought and I'm an afterthought. And, and uh, you each have a very specific role in not only your, your husband and ex-husband's because you are the mother of his children and his wife, those are two different hats, but also in the children's lives. So, uh, you know, the respect for your position is what's really important. And uh, on the website, there's a whole article on the different things that you can do in order for it to get along when the children go back and forth. It's usually the moms that butt heads, I have to say. The dads don't get involved in all the drama as much. <laughs> I mean, but the moms do. And I want to ask you about that because where does the butting of heads, you mentioned it a few times, where does it come from? You mentioned ego. Is it, and, and how do insecurity, we get Insecurity, absolutely. And, 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 but how do we change that? What, what's your advice? What's the tips? You lived through it. You went through it to get ahead of it. So the budding of the heads, not, it's not going to be erased, but if it becomes less frequent, I would think it's better for the kids. How does that change? Uh, the second rule of good ex-etiquette <laughs> is ask their opinion and ask for help if you need it. That's what it is. And, and the reason is, is if you reach out of yourself, the mother knows their children. The bonus mom knows the kids but they know them differently. And uh, I'll give you a, a quick scenario. Uh, one of the things that, that Cheryl, when she used to come back and forth, she'd have to pick up the kids from, from uh, school. And the reason that I started watching them afterwards is she couldn't get there in time. A lot of times she'd get stuck in traffic and the kids would be stuck down at school. And uh, specifically um, the little one, Stephen at the time, he's old now, but uh, so she called me up one day and she said, would you mind going and getting him? Now that was a huge step because first of all, she was admitting that she was vulnerable. Second of all, she needed help. Third of all, she's reaching out to her ex-husband's wife. It, it was a huge step for her, but she said, you know, I had to get past it and I knew you wouldn't want him sitting out there by himself either. And it was all about the kids. And that little thing where she reached out across the table and said, I need help. Of course I went, of course I'll go get him. Yeah. I mean, it's about him. So that started our ability to reach out. I'd ask her her opinion about, okay, Stephen got caught lighting matches at school. How would you want to handle this? That's how, you know, we sat down as a collaborative effort and, and figured out what we were going to do. That's such a powerful story. And, and 
Dr. Blackstone, as you look back on your own personal experience, what were the lessons that you learned? And if something had to be done differently in the beginning, what would have that been? I did some bad stuff. I did. I mean, I, I and I call people out on it myself, respecting Cheryl for her position as their mother. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm very possessive of my kids. And that was the biggest problem that we both had. We never were arguing about the relationship between the ex-husband or the current. It wasn't about him. It was about the children all the time. One of the things that I realized that I did and I call people out on is I started calling her Cheryl instead of your mother. And that was disrespectful, manipulative, uh, and wrong. And I, I, because I did it, I know how wrong it was and because it, it, it set a precedent and, and I've apologized to her. And, and, and I've, I've talked about that in my articles and in my book. You have got to respect the mother's position as mother. And then she will respect you as a co-mother, you know, sure. as a co as like the vice president. But, you know, the, the situation is the bonus parent is always a third voice. They're never the primary voice. But because they have their own children, oftentimes, and they are a primary voice there, that's where you got to do this little dance. You know, everybody's waltzing. Yeah. And the waltz, it's, it's not an easy dance. No. I mean, there's a lot of steps and there's a lot of moving parts. And if one right. step or one foot, you know, goes too fast, you step on each other's toes and everything's a bit out of sync. You know what the beauty of that is, is that you learn from your mistakes and you go back and you fix it. And don't rep- and, and don't get all into the ego of it and just say, I'm sorry, I won't do that ever again and fix it. You, there's things that you can do, it, just acknowledging your, your mistake and, and not doing it again. Dr. Blackstone, it's a great point. And as we finish up on the Shine Up podcast, I want to briefly talk about your two other books. And wedding season is here. People mm-hmm. are getting together. And as we get on the other side of the pandemic, families are spending more time together and celebrations and holiday gatherings are taking place. So you wrote a book, Ex Etiquette for Weddings. And I find this in my practice. This is so hard for so many people. It makes people cringe and extremely uncomfortable. So I want to ask you, what makes weddings and navigating this so hard for people even years later? And what's your advice for people to make it through? Well, what's, what makes it difficult is nobody likes to be replaced. And that's what they, the people are comparing. That's the biggest mistake you can make in, in bonus families is comparing on any level. Because it, when you compare, you're, you're comparing what you think <laughs> is the th- situation and it not, may not be real. So there's that. And also another mistake that, that parents make is they don't include the children in the wedding. And that's a a mistake because if you don't let the children feel like it's a family getting married, granted, there is a primary relationship, the the husband and the wife or the wife and the wife or the husband and the husband, uh, they, they are definitely the primary relationship, but you're forming a family. So if you don't incorporate that into the ceremony, into the attitude, it, you feel like your, your children feel like an afterthought and they will gravitate to the other home. You mentioned forming a family, and I think that's incredibly important. And that mindset would carry over through, I'm guessing, your work and your approach when you meet with parents and families and couples. And so I want to segue to talk about your next book, Ex Etiquette for Holidays, which in divorce agreements, I spent a lot of time 
putting in who gets what holiday on even years, alternating different days. And it's a major source of contention and often expensive divorce litigation. Holidays are stressful in general. And you then add in the layers of blending families and the different dynamics. And at this point, I'll turn it over to you because even talking about it, or even asking the question, I'm stressed just asking it. So <laughs> I'll ask you, how do people get through it? What's your advice, you know, in, in, in the creation of the family and, you know, especially around holiday time? Well, first, primarily, why do they forget Halloween? <laughs> I have to tell you, who gets the kids for trick-or-treating? It, it, it's it, it, it's huge. huge, huge, especially for young kids. I know. And I, when I was a mediator for Superior Court, they would always come back because they forgot Halloween. And I'm going, oh, okay, Halloween's a big deal. So, so I'm just telling you, remember Halloween? <laughs> always. I, I, I just negotiated an agreement where it was who picks the child's costume for Halloween. So trust me, I understand the importance of Halloween. Oh, I, craziness craziness i i had to negotiate one time um remembering to brush the the children's teeth at night i mean it's just uh, uh, the the things that the two of us see in our practice there i would be willing to guess there hasn't been much we haven't seen no but but the key now is there is to put the children first how do you think that holidays are all about family number one but also the children are the ones that have to go back and forth so put them first and figure out how would you like to do it how do you think that do they want to see both of their parents do they want to uh, some kids want to see both of their parents on christmas some are happy with one on things one on christmas eve and one on christmas day um hanukkah is a little bit different you got eight days to mess around with so but you know there's there's but the bottom line is it's collaborative you you do what the kids want to do and um and as they get older then you can incorporate the importance of of you know the way that you as the parents celebrate it but when they're little, yeah, trick-or-treating is really important. And, and waking up and opening presents or all that is a, a very important component. And, and always put the children first is the only thing I can keep back, come back and t- say all the time. And Dr. Blasone, it's, it's such a powerful point. That I know it's in the title of your book, Putting the Children First. And I want to thank you for coming on the Shine On podcast. My tell pleasure. us where Tell us where people can find out more information about the incredible work that you're doing with bonus families and have access to the resources, the articles, the blogs, and all the information that you have available. Well, they can go to bonusfamilies.com. That's where all the articles are. I'm starting, well, I've always done mediation online. I did that years ago before it was even possible. (laughs) We used to do it on messenger, (laughs) (laughs) but but now with zoom, it's, it's, it's simple. And, and um, mediation has gone crazy for bonus families. So they, if they want to do that, they can, they can contact bonus families. And, and I'm also going to be starting to do classes and I don't want to just do the, the, uh, the online classes where they check boxes. I want to have a class like this. So we're going to start doing co-parenting classes online where you sign up and I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we have a classroom. So all of that's going to be is available on bonusfamilies.com. There's probably 300 articles on there because it's been 20 years. I write ex-etiquette, which is a syndicated column for uh, Tribune content. And every week I, I uh, add another article. So there's, you know since 2004. <laughs> no, I have to tell you, I started with the, uh, the 10 rules for, uh, you know, everything that we're talking about. And, and I couldn't get enough because there was so much valuable information and oh, thank it, you. It, it was absolutely fantastic. And I want to ask you, where can people purchase your books? Amazon. 
you know, they, that's where, isn't that where everybody, <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> well, Dr. Blackstone, thank you again. My, it was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Dave, what a show on the Shine Up podcast, mm-hmm. episode number 16 in the books. Dr. Blackstone, she was incredible. Thank you to the listeners on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. Producer, David Yaz, thank you for making it happen. My pleasure as usual. You, you, <laughs> I got one line and I, <laughs> and I stepped on it. My pleasure as usual, my friend. Everybody can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, and Clubhouse. You can send your emails and comments to the Shine On Podcast email address, evan at shineondivorce.com. You can listen to the past episodes of the Shine On Podcast on the shineondivorce.com website, as well as read my latest blog posts on everything happening in the world of divorce, marriage, money, and so much more. I'm Evan Shine, and we'll talk to you again real soon.